kind of should be fine and escape too much criticism. Um, plus, there's kind of news that uh, he's recently uh, signed a new five-year contract. It's not confirmed yet, but there's a lot of um, news outlet, yeah. uh, outlets re reporting that. So I don't think he's got too much cause to be unhappy at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah. I think he will be disappointed in, in that, though. And you know, obviously, Spain had come back, so he's probably relieved on the pitch, but you know, conceding a third to only draw, like he probably will mm. be a bit pissed off, but that's yeah, only mm. to be expected, especially when he's, you know, world class and a winner, so he'd he'd always want to, to kind of do his best. Um so yeah, we kinda of spoke about the Ronaldo Hatrick and free kick already, but what you make of it is a tax settlement. Yeah, I I think this is one for you because I actually didn't know too much about the story. Um, mm -hmm. I saw you put it in the in the notes there. Um so I think you should uh, give your opinions and kind of educate me a bit more about it. Yeah, so it all kind of comes down to image rights and stuff like that. So I think um, a lot of footballers, managers like, you know, Jose Mourinho had his kind of tax uh, kind of scandal as well. And mm -hmm. obviously Lionel Messi uh, had a similar kind of outcome to what Ronaldo has. And I guess that's probably used to the, the precedence that, you know, pay what you owe or come to some sort of settlement financially, a two-year suspended sentence. So if you do it again, you're you're going to prison, but mm. uh, it's not going to be going to prison for, for two years. So I imagine he won't be making the same mistakes again. But yeah, it all, all comes into image rights. Um, so kind of offshore accounts and, and everything like that and basically trying to hide money that you're earning um, from the, the state or whatever. So uh, Messi was kind of doing something similar. And I think... When you make that much money, you're always going to look for for different ways and different kind of structures to to try and protect your money. Um, yeah. But obviously, the the Spanish government haven't taken too kindly to um to players on absolute multi millions, you know, ten, twenty million a year, even thirty million a year. And then when you add in all their endorsements as well, like there's there's huge amounts of money kind of uh, swashing around in football right now. So, um, yeah, looks like it's all kind of done and dusted. Um, so. 18.8 million euro I think he's paid in a settlement so does that mean he hasn't paid everything he's owed or did he pay over and above because he was uh, kind of found out or whatever but um, it obviously means that you know he's making a lot of money if that's his uh, tax bill um, so at least he won't be going to jail and I don't know if that kind of played a part in what he was talking about potentially moving from Real Madrid that he wanted more money to going to help his tax issues because when it came out last year you know he was the rumors kind of were that you know he was expecting Real Madrid to kind of help him out with that those kind of tax issues and support him and you know he's kind of looking for a, a new deal since last year so I, I wonder was that kind of related to uh, the comments that he made after the the Champions League final but potentially moving to to see if he could uh, get more support and obviously more money so mm. yeah I'd imagine a lot of other players might fall foul of this as well at some point in the future. Well, it's, it's, it seems to only really happen in Spain. I'm only really hearing stories like, yeah, I've heard of Jose Mourinho and I've heard of Lionel Messi and I have heard grumblings of Ronaldo because that's always been reasons of mm -hmm. why Ronaldo wanted to move back to Manchester United because of this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it seems to be a thing that if you're a really successful Spanish sports personality, you're going to have problem, you're going to have problems with the tax office, apparently. <laughs> Um, yeah, but uh, at least he's got us sorted down. Um, so Mr. Ronaldo uh, can focus on the football, not the, <laughs> yeah. not the Yeah, he doesn't have to uh, worry about his accounts anymore. 
Um, but I imagine it's all kind of driven by their advisors or, or accountants and stuff like that, trying to, you know, protect our money from from higher tax rates or, you know, avoiding it. But they've obviously made some sort of illegal step along the way that they were facing um, massive penalties and potential jail terms. You know, so um, it'd be interesting to see what what kind of happens in the future because Mascherano is also kind of involved in a, in a similar um, kind of case as well. So. Um, probably more out there, and there's probably more in the UK as well. I, I don't fully fully know how the the tax systems differentiate, and you know how players in um, in England are, are managing. Because um, I know there was um, similar kind of problems, nothing on this kind of scale or whatever, um, back in the early kind of 2000s, with image rights is again being like the main um, the main uh, source of all the the tax kind of issues of you know, using offshore companies and stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to uh, contract negotiations and stuff. So uh, I think image rights are becoming more and more kind of important in big transfer deals. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of money to be made there. And um, that's what kind of makes them more complicated. Interesting. Interesting. And um, I suppose... Uh, going on from that uh, from that topic, uh, how do you how do you kind of view from the game so far that you've watched? How do you view um, the atmosphere at the World Cup so far? Um, yeah, it's it's been okay. I guess obviously there would be nothing quite like uh, being there for any of the games. Um, the atmosphere in this game right now isn't too bad and. Um, I thought the Egyptians gave a good kind of vocal support when I was kind of watching part of their games. They had good shots of the fans kind of getting up off their, their feet and screaming and cheering and stuff. A lot of people dressed like pharaohs and stuff. Um, so it's been okay. Uh, there's been a few Vuvuzelas. Um, I think it was at the, yeah, maybe it was the Egyptian match or the Rock, like the Moroccan match. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just a, a unique um, atmosphere when that is played and, you know, the kind of leads to a drone as opposed to the kind of songs kind of taking off and different kind of rhythms uh, kind of taking off. But I think a World Cup isn't really like, um, it's probably a bit too kind of corporate these days. And I don't know, it just doesn't seem to to have um, the same kind of organics that, you know, like watching a, a league team that play games a year in their home stadium. Uh, mm. I think those atmospheres can be absolutely electric. Yeah. You know, like a lot of Champions League games at home under the lights. You know, yeah. like Man United have had great nights, Liverpool, like Tottenham last year as well. You know, like some of those atmospheres have been electric. And whereas I think World Cup, you know, it's kind of a bit more disjointed. But um, yeah, I'd love to know how people are getting on over there. Yeah, yeah. The fan atmosphere uh, being there. I'll see if uh, I'll try and check in if maybe I have some distant friends that uh, have made their way over to Russia. But I know what you mm -hmm. mean. Like I remember watching the first game and it was just so surreal seeing like a random... Saudi Sheik and Vladimir Putin shake hands over the re over watching the game. It was just a, a weird sight yeah. to see. Um, yeah, no, they they love showing those clips after every goal went in. Like, all right, yeah. let's see what Putin's reacting to right now. You know, like it's gonna be interesting I'm, I'm to see his emotions over time. Football, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I I get what you mean, but I still think um, you will see the real some real passion fans still make their way over to Russia. Oh, definitely. Atmosphere, and you know, uh, once it gets to the deeper, deeper uh, stages of the competition, you're gonna see some real heartbreak and 
maybe mm-hmm. some tears as the team gets eliminated from the tournament. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing um, how it kind of bubbles up because, like, so far, no news of, you know, fights or hooliganism or, you yeah. know, not no major kind of troubles of that. It seems that they're maybe being super strict on that aspect of things. Um, yeah, I think so. And uh, I still I still think, despite the Vuvuzelas, the South Africa World Cup was one of the best of all time. <laughs> I just feel yeah. like... The, the African fans kind of really, they like they were they're probably thinking like we don't know when we're gonna be back in this part of Africa again. Mm-hmm. I do believe it'll be in North Africa pretty soon and often. I think eventually Morocco, Algeria, they'll get their opportunities. But in terms of South Africa, because it's such a it can be such a poor country overall compared to some of the North African countries, um, that you just don't know when it's gonna come back to that um part of the world again. So they really kind of you know, took it in with um with open arms and tried to embrace Definitely. it. And, you know, maybe that was part of why they added the Vuvuzelas, just to uh, kind of add to the as- the atmosphere and their own kind of uh, culture, footballing culture, yeah. and how they kind of support their football. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, South Africans love football, whereas I don't think the Russians have the same kind of love for, for football, that it's not like the, yeah. the national obsession. So I think the last two World Cups before this, you know, like the obviously Brazil, they absolutely love football as well. So I think the atmospheres of both of those were, were good, obviously um, very uh, well supported by the locals, whereas I think in Russia they're kind of having um, some issues uh, selling a lot of tickets because uh, there was a lot of was it the Argentina-Uruguay game? Seems like there's a lot of kind of empty seats to that game. So obviously, if you're not selling out stadiums, um, it's quite difficult to, to kind of generate that atmosphere. Um, so yeah. there was only like yeah. 33,000 capacity. So and it looked like there was a lot of empty seats. So um, you know, it's kind of like a, a mid-sized ground in the Premier League. Um, so, Which makes yeah, me think... ask: How come England has not had a World Cup in such a long time? Like, yeah, I don't know. It seems like, uh, you know, like a lot you'd of... Get, you'd get packed seats. Like, like, I agree, North America, when it goes there, it's going to sell out. Like, that's going to be a guaranteed success mm-hmm. without even seeing it for eight years. I know that <laughs> Like, there's certain places, like, you know in Brazil, you're going to have a successful World Cup. You know in, mm-hmm. like, Argentina, you're going to have a successful World Cup. You know in maybe Central America, you'll have a successful World Cup. England is one of those places that you know... Um, you're gonna get like just like Germany. It's maybe a safe bet, probably. Yeah, yeah. It maybe m- might not be um memorable because you know, like for example, I I mentioned yesterday or was it was the day before that Germany wasn't exactly the most memorable World Cup, but it was still a success. And you know, in England, you're gonna get packed seats. You don't need to build any stadiums because yeah. England per team per capita has got probably the best stadiums in the whole world. And when you're going top to bottom, and um, mm-hmm. so. I, I generally feel like, well, they were supposed to get the Russian World Cup, weren't they? Oh, no, it was the yeah. Qatar one. Um, Qatar one, yeah, there was obviously were... a bit of control there. <laughs> yeah, and they chose Qatar, so it's a pity. But uh, hopefully they they reapply because they definitely deserve it. And I will definitely make my way there. It's just across the pond if it ends up there. Mm. So. Yeah, like... Um... I think part of FIFA's kind of strategy is to bring the World Cup to, to new places. And like I think, you know, people in England love the World Cup anyway. There's no kind of more people, more fans that they're going to bring into the, the game. Whereas, you know, in North America, Qatar and even Russia, they're big kind of untapped markets. Football isn't um, massive over there. Whereas 
you know, as you say, like England's got everything that it needs to host the World Cup, you know, all the infrastructure, yeah. all the stadiums. There's um, no so need I think... to, you know, have uh, people working against their wills. There's no human rights violations <laughs> going on. So, yeah. Um, but that's just me saying, I ain't saying anything, though. <laughs> yeah, like if there's any kind of last minute issues with Qatar, I think, you know, um, England will be in the perfect place to host a, a World Cup at the last minute because it has happened mm. before, you know, I think Brazil was supposed to host um, uh, the 86 World Cup and they couldn't in the end and then Mexico and it just kind of stepped in at the last mm. minute as when no one else kind of would, so um, that does kind of happen, so obviously uh, we're four years away from that World Cup, so there's a lot to happen before then and now and, you know, the, the evidence is just kind of stacking up against uh, Qatar in terms of all the... Um, the corruption to get that World Cup, so you know there, there's things that might happen, and obviously that's that's probably going to be um, a December World Cup, so that's a, a huge change on the the tradition of the World Cup uh, being a summer tournament. Mm. And um, I suppose to uh, to carry on from there, we can uh, finally. Uh, head on over to uh, the game I'm probably most looking forward to today, which is the Croatia versus Nigeria game. Um, mm. And, like, what do you think about those two teams and what do you think uh, about those two teams' chances, I suppose? Um, yeah, like, I, yeah, yeah, I think um, it should be a, a great game. Um, two kind of talented sides in Croatia and Nigeria. And, you know, like, it's a big game for both of them because... Neither will want to lose and you know be up against it for the rest of uh, the qualifying. So um, mm. hopefully that doesn't um, dampen either their attacking kind of instincts uh, to go forward. But um, yeah, it's the first game of for each team, and then you know we're watching the other two teams in the tournament right now. So um, obviously we'll see what happens here in this game. But yeah, it's going to be a, a tight tight enough group because there's a lot of um, tough teams in it and. Interesting teams. Um, you know, G- oh, sorry. Yeah, no, did you see the potential handball there, like yeah, two minutes I ago did. for you? I, I did. I was trying to like not give that away. I'm just gonna go for goals. If I see a goal, I'll <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go crazy. Um, I saw that. Uh, I don't. What do you think? Do you think that's a handball? Yeah, it's tough to kind of give that. You know, like it's yeah. guy sliding and like, trying to get the ball, and I think the defender knew what he was doing. But mm-hmm. if you're the referee, it's hard to just say that's a handball, like, you know. Um, but the defender definitely knew what he was doing by placing his hand down there, like. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I think it's a fair decision. You, you need to be 100% sure that um, it's, uh, it's a penalty, and I don't think he was, and I don't think uh, Argentina can cry too much about that. Yeah. Unless they lose, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, they they tried to anyway. They tried to kind of stir in the ref, and he was having none of it. So mm. yeah, I think it's tough when you're already in like a natural kind of motion, like kind of sliding in like that, trying to block the ball. That yeah, you know, kind of hit your hand. You know, if he was still standing up and yeah, uh, he put his hand towards the ball, then yeah, definitely. Um, um but to to go back about uh, Denmark and um and Niger- uh, sorry to go back about Croatia and Nigeria, I think mm-hmm. both are two really good teams. Um, a lot of people are going on about Croatia saying they're the clear second favorites in this group. I don't think so. Like, you know, they finished second to Iceland. Yeah, like, they're in their group. Modric, and they've got Kovacic, and they've got, who's the former Leicester player? 
he's a striker. Oh, Kramerich up front. Kramerich. Yeah. Like, I, Rakitic. Yeah, they're the three or four players that kind of stand out to me. But um, they, as a team, they don't really impress me too much. Um, I think Nigeria coming, di- coming into this, I don't think they made the last tournament. So they're coming to this with no pressure. Oh, no, they did make the last tournament, sorry. But uh, they're coming into this with no pressure, no expectations. And I really feel they, they've got the potential just to play some really good, exciting, fast football because that's when Nigeria at the best. They're full of pacey players. They got Don Obi Mikel playing quarterback in the middle. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I really generally it's... think... Um, I don't know if they'll make it out of this group even. Um, and that's the honest truth. But I believe they're just a talented team that can play some exciting stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I, I am excited for that game because I feel Croatia can be a bit... For all their talent, you could say European talent... They can be a bit slow and plotty and, uh, you know, they're not known for their physical attributes, so they could be undone in that case. Um, but, uh, so I, n- I nearly saw another goal there. Because I not going to go 2-1 up here. That'd be nuts. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, like, uh, in terms of a result, what do you, uh, what do you think would happen? Um going to be an interesting uh, game but if you're saying that John Obi Mikel is like a quarterback for Nigeria does that make Victor Moses a wide receiver I, I think so <laughs> you, got, you got Moses and Ibobi he's playing running back so uh... yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like uh, just, I was just checking um, Paddy Power there uh, for their odds and yeah it's Croatia kind of odds on favorite 4-1 uh, to one on Nigeria so um, looking like a 25% chance of what they say. So I think for a lot of teams, you know, like the first game of the tournament kind of dictates what will happen for the for the yeah. rest. And this mm. being the group of death, you know, like all these four teams, you know, if Argentina and Iceland end up drawing this game, you know, like we're only halfway through pretty much. Um, so it could be a wide open game, wide open group. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Um, you're very right in saying this is uh, the group of death because I won't say all four of these teams are like, top top teams but like you know bar argentina those are the three teams are very similar in terms of their standings and in terms of their respect for each other i don't think any of those other three teams would fear necessarily fear each other as, as mm-hmm. the same way they would fear argentina so uh, yeah, yeah um I, i'm definitely thinking i'm i'm definitely seeing a win because the way nigeria play the way a lot of these western african teams play like senegal will be the same too they 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 don't play to draw. I don't think like African teams aren't known to like put men behind the the box, um, and that's why they they can sometimes cause teams trouble because they'll attack teams and they'll go at teams. And I really mm. feel um, Nigeria will will go go at them. I, I feel as a game with goals. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to, uh, I'm gonna go three two Nigeria. Let's say there'll be a, a lot of goals. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm looking forward to that game if that happens. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to go 1-0 uh, Croatia, Croatia. Um, I, yeah I, I think it'll be quite a tight um, game um, yeah that's that's what I kind of think mm. uh, but yeah hoping for a good game and hoping it's a, a 3-2 because that would be that'd be phenomenal um, after last night's uh, exciting game it'd be great to have a lot of goals in this tournament because obviously oh, Russia started with be. five as well so that uh, would make a lot of um, a lot of people entertained this evening 
Um, mm, mm. Yeah, it's halftime anyway um, in the Argentina-Iceland game. One all at the moment. Yeah, what did you think so? Yeah, it's, it's been a good enough game. Um, I think there's a lot more to, to kind of come. I don't think... Uh, I think Iceland definitely would be the, the happier of the two. And I think they've probably played better than Argentina uh, so far. Uh, there hasn't really been uh, too much kind of gold mouth action. Um, mm. Probably be more in the the Argentinian box than up the other end. And it's been a couple of nice yeah. shots, but nothing nothing major. Nothing too crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I think the same too. I feel uh, Iceland have done themselves a world of justice, a world of good. Mm. It's shown um, you can't take them um, lightly, um, especially coming straight back at them after conceding that goal. So. Yeah, no, for, the, for the second half, they've come close a couple of times to taking the lead too, so it uh, should be a fun game to to finish. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's been a even enough game in terms of like um, two teams and how well they're playing and stuff, mm. given the context. But yeah, it's uh, 80% possession to Argentina, 20% <laughs> to uh, Iceland, so no surprises there. It doesn't win football games. It sure doesn't. Um, yeah, it's eleven eight in shots to to Argentina. So um, I think Iceland are doing a good job with their twenty percent possession that they've had so many so many so many shots. Yeah. Um, now it says here that you you've you've picked up it. There's been issues with the ball. Can you? Yeah, yeah. Did, did you see that in the the French game? I actually did not. I must have missed it. Yeah, it basically like happened twice in pretty quick succession that um, players just ended up kicking out the ball. That the ball had, you know, like there was no bounce on it. I don't know that they get punctured oh, in a couple okay. of incidents and stuff. So it happened twice in about five minutes in the the French game. And then I don't know. It was like kind of thinking it happened again yesterday at some point where they had to swap uh, out the ball. So I wonder is there is there something there? So it's, yeah, it's just something to kind of watch. Obviously, like pretty much every tournament, there's always people like kind of giving out of the about the ball and how it moves yeah. and stuff. And you know that they try and reinvent it so much and. You know, I haven't really heard too much about the ball uh, this time around and like the overall kind of design of it, but it's just something that I noticed um, that the the ball just had to be replaced twice in, in quick succession, so mm. well, we'll see uh, if there's uh, any more. I'll be on the lookout for that. Um, uh, I, I haven't noticed too much on that either, but that's very that's quite interesting, actually. Um, mm. But I, I think we've kind of covered uh, all bases with that so far. Uh, do you anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I've got a couple of other things here in, in the notes, like um, just about France versus Australia. Obviously, uh, France ended up winning 2-1, um, kind of got lucky, but it seems like they've set up very defensive and kind of cautious. So they had like two defensive midfielders, um, a right back who didn't really seem willing to kind of get forward much. So there wasn't much um, much width in the, the French side. So mm-hmm. like obviously they don't want to lose their opening game and you know they're kind of notoriously kind of slow starters and you know they got three points on the board so you can't really argue with it. But it's um, kind of jumping aboard the the French hype train and I just got found it kind of disappointing from them that they didn't really um, excite too much. Um, yeah. But you know wins are the name of the game. So I just wonder. Deschamps setting them up negatively, or is that how they'll play for the rest of the tournament, or what do you well, think? Well, I, I, I really don't hope. I really hope they don't um, set up too negatively because, like that team, you know, if you put that team on FIFA, like you're gonna be like steaming teams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna be steamrolling teams. Um, I, I really just hope uh, maybe it's just first game. Let's make sure we get the win, and then let's properly get going because. Um, obviously not against Nigeria now. Um, yeah. 
but uh, I, I I just feel I just feel that uh, they they've kind of you know that, that they were really disappointing. I have to say, in in my opinion, in that game, even if they were set up um, defensively, they were still uh, they were still caught out a couple of times. And Australia, even for the small teams, are they don't really offer much going forward at all. Mm. They are kind of looking for set pieces, and like their goal came from a penalty. So um, you know, if they were playing some of the heavy hitters at this point of the tournament, you know, I won't be too. Um, I won't be too positive looking back on that performance, but like you said, France do have a history, even in the world, in their successful tournaments of starting mm-hmm. off slowly, and this could be uh, another one today. Yeah, yeah, pretty good wrap up there of um, French. Uh, what, what do you think about the the penalty decision uh, for France for their first goal? Like, do you think it was a penalty? Or? I thought it was a little weak, but I can see mm-hmm. why they gave it. But like, I would not be disappointed if it wasn't given either. Mm-hmm. Because I do think he he got a nibble of the ball, but he did get more of the man. And um, many people are arguing that look, he got the he he got some of the ball, so it should if he got at least a little bit of the ball, that means he still got the ball, which means whatever happens afterwards, as long as it wasn't as long as it wasn't um, excessive follow through or force, should be uh, a play on. But then other mm-hmm. people are like, look, he just barely he just touched barely part of the ball, and he got mainly man. Um, I'm not. A complete. I'm not a referee. I don't know the exact yeah. um, judges of the rules, but from the way it looked, I can't be too disappointed at that penalty given. Because if it was my team, that happens to me, I'd be fairly, um, I'd be fairly uh, disappointed if I didn't get a penalty. So. Yeah. What if it was your team on the defending side? Would you be annoyed that a penalty was given? I, I, I if our, I, I can't be <laughs> like if from a logical, rational standpoint, if it was given against my team. I can't be too uh, disappointed either. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of fair enough. It was a uh, was an interesting um, decision, and you know, it's kind of first incident with VAR that we've seen so far. So um, mm. it'll be interesting to see how VAR kind of develops. Because uh, I think it took one minute twenty seconds or something they were saying between uh, the incident and actual uh, being yeah, awarded. Actual, so, uh... um. Did you see the French celebration afterwards, actually? It's another kind of thing that I picked up. I don't know if I was watching this with a fine-tooth comb this morning, but um, I kind of picked up on that as well. Did you see it? No. Uh, after the game, you mean? No, no, no. Just after the, the penalty when Griezmann kind of put the, the ball in. I didn't take too much notice of, of it. Why? Yeah, so it was like Dembele was probably like one of the first players to come over and then he was like kind of beckoning everybody else over and then it seemed like they had like a full kind of team huddle uh, without Hugo Lloris uh, being the captain obviously in goal but it looked like Varane was kind of leading a bit of a pep talk or something. Um, so I don't know, was it as long as it, they made out look like in the, the clip? Uh, but it looks like it was like about 20 seconds long and they obviously shortly afterwards Umtiti puts his hand up during a... a a free kick that was coming from Australia and gave away a penalty for God knows what reason. So uh, I don't think the team talk did any good because um, I doubt he was saying, let's not concentrate, guys. Let's do some stupid shit. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, because like, I, I wouldn't be the biggest fan of um, goalkeepers as captains. Um, I don't think they're like involved in all parts of the, the pitch, um, like a defender or midfielder kind of would. Um, so I think, you know, it's something again to, to kind of take note of is is there other leaders on the pitch other than Hugo Lloris as the captain? 
Um, well, they, they would they would be. I'd say they'd have to be. Um, and I won't say leaders, but I'd say personalities. You know, I'd say Griezmann is a personality. I'd say Pogba is a personality. Um, and you know, I think we've gone away from the era of having many leaders in squads because, you know, before, especially in these bigger national teams, it's there was one man, one or two men, and then the rest kind of followed. But you look at mm -hmm. the French team. You look at the English team too. Like Kane is the captain, but I won't say he's the main leader. You know, you'd say guys like Carrie Cahill and guys like Eric Dyer, they're not even telling people what Anderson. to do in terms of a personality. That's who they are. Mm. And so yeah. I, I, I definitely think these commentators, they go on about, oh, there's got to be a leader in the team. But, you know, the days of Roy Keane, the days mm -hmm. of Zidane, the days of uh, Gennaro Catuso, I think they're going away slow, uh, slightly. And it's more about having strong personalities in your squad, not not necessarily a leader telling mm -hmm. you what to do or, you know, leading by example. It's more of a, you know, like, like I think the first proper personality that I can remember was Eric Cantona from Manchester United. Like, mm -hmm. I won't exactly call him a leader. Like, he doesn't strike right. me as the type of person saying, hey, get doing this, hey, get doing that. But I just think he was the type of personality that other players would look at and be like, okay, um, I got to get going. You know, this guy is a, a big, talented player and he he has an aura to him. And I got to, you know, kind of abide by that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense, all right. Um, what do you think about um, Griezmann coming off uh, for Giroud? I, uh, I think they had to change. Um, I felt it was a good decision. Um, the way Australia was set up, they were obviously deep. Uh, well, it's two reasons, actually. Like The French team was set up quite defensively. The Australian team was quite set up quite defensively. And if you're the French team that's set up um, quite defensively with two defensive midfielders and you're trying to... You know, you're trying to get in behind the Australian defense with some pace. Um, it's just not going to happen because Australia is going to set up defensively too. So you're going to have sort of a stalemate. So if you're going to, you know, kind of try and get in to the heart of the Australian defense, put in Giroud, who's a big, tall guy that can hold the ball up to let the French uh, support kind of gather is a good move. And I really think. They should have, if they were going to set up like they were, they should have probably started with Giroud because he could have mm -hmm. probably given the Australian defence more trouble because, uh, you know, I can't, the Australian defenders can't, um, I can't think of the names, but they were very, very disciplined and they were very, very good in my opinion and they didn't do much wrong. Um, and like dealing with Griezmann, who he's a very talented player, but he's not the most physically imposing player. And if he doesn't have exactly much space to run in behind, that also kind of limits his game. Same mm -hmm. with Dembele, same with Mbappe. Mbappe was very quiet today. Um, and it was just, it wasn't purely Australia's defence, but it was also the way he set up the French team and not really taking advantage of Australia's ta of France's talents, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think Mbappe was making some good, good runs over the top and there was a lot of kind of balls over the top um, in the first half, especially. Like So um, I think there was something to develop on there for, for future games for France. Um, but... Yeah, it wasn't um, the helter skelter that I, I kind of thought it was. I thought it might be a, a four or five nil kind of demolition kind of job. But yeah, as you say, the Australian defence, you know, they're tight and compact, and you know, they kind of made it difficult for France to be at their free flowing best. So mm. uh, obviously, France got the three points on the board. So um, we'll see what happens next in the Peru and Denmark game, the other the other game in that group later on at five o'clock. So. 
Um, should be an interesting battle there as well, because I think those two teams will probably fancy their chances of potentially getting a, a run at second spot. So, you know, it's early days, but, you know, is that the the second place playoff uh, kind of game that if someone can win that, then it sets them in good position to, to kind of get yeah, out of the group? So. You'd only have to say so, wouldn't you, you know? Mm. Um, but, uh, well, we'll see. There's a, there's a lot still to play for. It's only match day... We're still in what uh, game one of mm-hmm. each group, so let's uh, let's see how things unfold, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, you definitely don't want to lose um, your first game, uh, especially when it's against probably your your closest kind of competition for a second place spot. Mm. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Christian Eriksen uh, for Denmark. Like it's kind of uh, Operation Give It to Christian Eriksen. Uh, yep. There's a lot of uh, Danish fans wearing a T-shirt of their strategy, and it's basically like give it to Christian Eriksen. Did we score? Yes, great. If <laughs> not, give it ball back to Christian Eriksen because yeah, he's he he does it all for them really. Like I think he was their top scorer and obviously oh, top he, assister. He, so he was very impressive in the qualifying run. Um, mm. He was one of the top scorers of the whole uh, qualifying tournament. Never mind just with Denmark. Yeah. So, uh, um, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to big things from from Eriksen. Um, I do always feel like uh, you're a Tottenham fan. I don't know if you'll uh, yeah. agree with me, but I do always feel like the full extent of what Christian Eriksen can do is not really shown um, at Tottenham because of what um, of what Tottenham have. They've got Kane, who's just on his day a complete goal scoring machine. They've got Son, who just does so much in terms of aiding Kane, in terms of his movement into space, his finishing himself and his creation. Um, so it's nearly as if Ericsson at Tottenham is just purely a passer. Like, you know, and I think Ericsson can do so much more. I remember when he first came to Tottenham, he, was, he always seemed a little bit more involved in their play. And obviously when he was at Ajax, he was a complete uh, beast uh, that mm-hmm. obviously got him to move over to Tottenham. And like you see it when he plays with Denmark, he, he just does so much more. Um, and people kind of see Eriksen sort of the way that people see Ozil at Arsenal. Like he's kind of like a luxury player and you can kind of maybe get away, get away with it, even sometimes not having him in the team because you think he's just one of those kind of, you know, fancy players. He can, he can move nice, nicely and give you some nice uh, exotic passes. But uh I feel he can do so much more, and I feel this World Cup is going to be uh, kind of a, a table for him to show what he can do. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And like, obviously, being pretty much like a one-man team, he's pretty much like crossing in the ball and trying to get on the end of it himself, like to, <laughs> to put it in. So uh, yeah. definitely, when you do that, and he pretty much takes every corner, every free kick. Although he does mm-hmm. have Tottenham as well, but uh, he's definitely playing with a lot better players at Tottenham. So. You know, it's easy for Harry Kane to get headlines after a game, even though Eriksen might have put in the, the man of the match performance. And, and that's and... true, you know, like Kane, Kane had so much success this year. But how many of those assists come from, um, how many, not even Kane's assists, how many of Tottenham's assists come solely from Eriksen? You know, he's actually so underrated, in my opinion. Um, I think he's one of the most, like people see him as a good player, but like the extent of how good he is. I think it's not even hidden. Like, you know, you don't hear stories of Ju- Juventus or Real Madrid wanting to sign him because, mm-hmm. and I think that's, Tottenham should be thanking God that's the case because I think he's the sort of player that you don't notice too much when he's on the pitch, sort of like Carrick. But mm-hmm. you take him out of your team and, like, he's kind of like your heartbeat in a way. Um, 
you take him out of your team and like you know where where are you getting the guy who connects the dots from you know where's the where are you getting the guy that's treading in those two those two passes those dangerous balls that make the defense think um because there's no one really else in that tottenham team that can do it on a regular basis compared to uh, mm. ericsson i feel so yeah, yeah, and that's probably one of the things that Tottenham are probably going to look to kind of sign during the summer, like a genuine uh, replacement for Ericsson. Like, because right now, if he's injured or is off form, like there's there's not much um, to, mm. to kind of do, replace him directly. Obviously, he could play different players in his position, but you know, if you put in Ali there or Lamella or Dunn, it's not not the same. Um, no. So, yeah, there's kind of been rumors of Jack Grealish um, being signed by Tottenham for that role. I so. think that's an awful signing. <laughs> Um, I think his time is kind of gone. Like, there was mm. a time where, yeah, he would have been a solid signing, but I think he's shown he has an attitude problem. I've shown he can be... Obviously, he's, he's what, 23, 24 now? Yeah, I think he's 22 um, going on 23 pretty, 23, pretty shortly. Like, um, so, like, you know, this is around the time he should be maturing, and he's still inconsistent. Um, even at the championship with Aston Villa, uh, I, I think it would be an awful signing. I think they should not <laughs> go there at all. That's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and no, I think possibly because he's uh, a homegrown talent, um, so you know the way you have to have your your squad kind of set yeah. up that you have to have so many uh, homegrown. So Tottenham don't really have that many. Yeah, but like even if you promote a younger player and they're under a certain age, they don't actually count for that list. So it has to be oh, is like, it really? yeah, yeah. No, so it's kind of a, a weird thing that you know, like we've had young players in our squad last year, but they didn't actually count as homegrown because they don't have to be on a homegrown list. Because they're underage, so they don't have to be mentioned on a list. But I'm um, sure that you have to have some 18-year-olds in the in the youth system and the under 21. So do you? Yeah, you yeah, know? no, we do. Like, but if they are, I think it's under 21 or so that they don't actually have to be named on the squad list, and uh, that means okay. they don't count as homegrown. So it's, so you it's need a weird a, one. Over 21, basically. Yeah, 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 and that's that's why you know Chelsea have been signing players like Danny Drinkwater and Ross Barkley that they're kind of filling their squad with English players. Uh, to kind of mm-hmm. adhere to those rules so they can have a full 25-man squad filled with um, kind of 17 non-homegrown uh, It's true, because um, Barkley didn't play that much in the second half of the season, did he? No, he didn't. No, like, he was quite injured when he kind of came, that he wasn't like fully a fitness, played a couple of games, and then kind of got re-injured. So uh, I think he's had a bad kind of run of form there. So, yeah, Tottenham are kind of linked to sign him, and, you know, it's kind of paying close attention to his recovery between uh, the summer window and January. And, like, he posted a picture of his hamstring and, like, serious scar, like the, the full length of, of his hamstring. Like, so it looked like a pretty serious injury and pretty serious mm. hamstring tear that he had to get repaired. So, uh, obviously, it's a big change to a, a player's kind of physical makeup when they have um, a serious injury like that and obviously the operation as well. Um, I think mm. operations are always kind of a, a last choice um, or last preference, so having to do it is, is always kind of not the best sign, but of yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens to him in the future because I th- kind of thought he might have hoped to play his way back in and potentially get a, a call up to the England squad, uh, but yeah, he was nowhere near it, obviously, in the end. Well, like I, I, I feel if Tottenham signed um, uh, Ross Barkley, you know, mm-hmm. it just makes me ask, why did you ever get rid of um, Gilfie Sigerson? You know, um, he's such a talent, and it's not like he needed the money because I think mm. was that like a year or two or three after the bail? Um, yeah, it probably uh, was. Yeah, so I think he. Just kind of wanted more game time, really, that he wasn't uh, going to start ahead of Christian Eriksen. So I think that's why we kind of sold him. And then we got 
yeah, we didn't sell him for huge money. Obviously, he went to Everton for like 40 million or whatever it was, but I think we sold him for X amount and we bought uh, Ben Davies and Michel Warren for the same amount. So, a mm. um, bit of a kind of a swap deal and, you know, Warren is as good as a backup goalkeeper as you're probably going to get in the Premier League. Um, and Ben Davies has been a been a very good uh, left back for us and he's only quite young as well so um but yeah be interesting to see who we will sign in that Ericsson role so what do you think is going to happen in that Peru Denmark game um anything to add in Peru I think when we did previous kind of previews we didn't really have too much uh knowledge on Peru um uh, what do you think is going to happen well from the news that I've been hearing is that you shouldn't be sleeping on Peru um hmm. Like, they still made it out of, what's that, Concaball? Concaball, so, yeah. The, which is one of the hardest, um, you know, continental com- continental uh, leagues to make it out of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they're playing Denmark, and Denmark are hardly, um, Denmark are hardly world beaters themselves. Yes, they're a decent European side, but they're, they're nothing Peru should be as afraid of. I actually think mm-hmm. Peru will, will actually go out Denmark. Yeah, yeah. I expect that too. Uh, I, um, I, I, I say draw. 1-1 one, one draw. Ericsson goal somewhere in the... Mm. Um, cool. Yeah, not a you? bad shout. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think it might be a, a draw as well. Uh, I might go for 2-2 just to be different and hope for a slightly more exciting game. Obviously, <laughs> I think Peru have Guerrero, their striker. Did you hear about the, the controversy about him and him being allowed to, to play? No, can you tell? Oh, is that um, the, the drugs? Drugs, yeah, yeah, I actually heard of that. Yeah, drugs ban, yeah, I think. Yeah, but he was allowed to play in the last minute. They changed the rules. Yeah, yeah, like there was, um, yeah, it was kind of proven to be kind of an accidental kind of thing. I, I'm not fully Some sure how they. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't actually know like um, how they they kind of proved that, but um, I guess it's. If he's a good player for them, then hopefully uh, he can do some good stuff and mm. make it worth it. Obviously, the other teams might not be too pleased that a guy who was banned for drugs has been allowed to play. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's it's Peru. It's not it's not mm. uh, Brazil or something. Yeah, the that's true. Neymar was caught with uh with uh taking banned substances. The whole world will be on fire, but uh, luckily it's not so. Yeah, and just looking at him here, he's a 34-year-old striker, so it's not like he's um, he's experienced, obviously, but he's not... Um, Crazily not, experienced. Yeah. Um, can played. I just ask... Can I, can I just ask... Um, I'm sure this is probably an easy question, but I'll ask it anyway. Like, what has your performances been... So, uh, what, have, what have you been impressed with? Which performances have you been impressed with so far in the World Cup? Um, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, I think uh, Golovin for, for Russia, um, he did a lot of cool stuff. And Cherchyshev, like he came on for Russia mm-hmm. uh, through injury to another player. And, you know, like two of his goals were, were quality, you know, like the little dink over, two sliding defenders and smashing into the, the net. Um, yeah. And then obviously we kind of spoke earlier about uh, Isco in that Spanish game. I think he was uh, absolutely phenomenal. So, um, yeah, it's been exciting so far. So I think uh, those have been the two kind of standout performances from individuals that I've kind of noticed and, and zoned in on. A lot of the mm. other games haven't really been too uh, overwhelming in terms of 
quality or excitement. Um, so I think those are the two that immediately kind of come to mind. And there hasn't really been much here today. Uh, obviously, I'd throw in Ronaldo as well. And yeah, and um, as you say, Costa as well. I think those have been probably the, the four best performances. That, that's a good point you've noticed, though. The quality of football have actually not been that great. I don't know, maybe it's mainly because of the teams that have been playing. Mm-hmm. But uh, barred up game last night, um, the quality overall has not been... Um, you know, something to shout about. Uh, I don't know if there's just been a sudden shift towards a more tactical view of football. I don't like. I don't know if you've noticed lately in the last couple of years. There's kind of been, you know, more talk these days about formations and a slower mm-hmm. kind of game. And you know, um, maybe that's kind of making its way and creeping into it, the, this year's World Cup. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely think there's, um, you know, you've seen it in the Premier League quite a bit. You know, like. Change is kind of coming and they're no ambition at all to score and mm. you know, just playing that kind of park the bus type mentality that Jose Mourinho seemed to invent or at least perfect. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's definitely kind of creeping in and, you know, when teams are, you know, kind of fighting for their lives, they don't want to lose games. Um, so they're looking to, you know, pick up points or potentially snatch a win like kind of Iran did, you know, that they were kind of dominated by Morocco and then, you know, kind of popped up with a late goal and now they're on three points and, you know, are in with the contention of making the last 16, which would be absolutely phenomenal for a team like Iran. Yeah. Um, so I think there is, you know, certain teams, you know, like if you're not as good as uh, your opposition, then, you know, like you probably should be doing everything you can to win and not just do be stupidly aggressive and going forward and leaving yourself open at the back. So, yeah, yeah I think, you know, teams are playing to their strengths and, you know, Hopefully that will well, still result in good, good teams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny, like when they brought on Giroud as well. I, I don't think they really kind of played to his strengths either for, no. for a lot of that game. You know, there wasn't too many no. crosses into the box to, to kind of get his head on it and stuff. So did it. This Deschamps has always perplexed me, honestly. Mm. Um, like I, I actually feel like if France had, if France had Pep Guardiola as their coach, oh my God, it's over. <laughs> Like I said that about a lot of teams, you know, like yeah, yeah. Like if Ireland had, had Pep Guardiola's manager, <laughs> he could do something. I actually feel he could. See, that's why I, I would love that's... to see managers or great players like that, you know, like joining the the shit team or yeah, you know, the yeah. team without the resources and and seeing what they can do. You know, I think that would be a much better uh, test of skills rather than having the best players well, with all the my, money in the world to to do your stuff. My, you know? my argument is that he wouldn't do great. And my, my reasoning being is because Pep Guardiola, I think he can coach a great team. Um, Jose Mourinho, he can coach a great team. Um, but he can't coach actual players. Yo, improve your passing, improve your touch, improve your positioning, improve your, the mental side of things. You know? mm-hmm. I, think, I think he needs players. They don't need to be the best players in the world, but he needs two things. You need to have great mental attributes. Mm-hmm. And great technical attributes. Physical attributes, you know, not everyone needs to have them, but you need to have those two. Jose Mourinho nearly needs those two along with physical attributes. He needs also big players. If you look at his team in Porto, and people think, oh, it was only Porto, but that Porto team, if you look at that Porto team, that was Porto team was actually a decent team. Yeah, um, yeah. The majority of that squad ended up moving to some big teams in Europe. Like I remember Deco went to Chelsea, then yep. to Barcelona himself, and Basingwa, um, What's the Carvalho. Carvalho and the, even the goalkeeper himself, like like from top to bottom, that eleven that won that Champions League, 
um, the majority of them ended up leaving. That was a very underrated squad he had there. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, you know, wherever they went, they spent big money. So I, I can't imagine him going now to Leeds in League One or, or Championship. I think they're in Championship. Can't imagine Pep Guardiola going to Leeds and making them world beaters in five years, like some yeah. managers and them. Um, yeah, purely knows? because they they just won't understand. It's like it's like a Harvard um, teacher mm-hmm. coming to your average secondary school in Dublin, trying to teach them um, some sort of high level maths. Like no one's gonna understand it, you know. So, but you don't, you still don't doubt the level of that Harvard teacher's um, skills. It's just. Mm. A different sort of different sort of talent, I suppose. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Leeds because they've um, Marcelo Bielsa. Do you know that manager? Yep. Yeah, so he's their their new manager, and he's you know kind of revered as like a great technical coach, and you know Pep Guardiola. Um, well, where did he Diego come from? Simeone? Yeah, right? uh, I think so. Yeah, but he's he's been everywhere. You know, like he never he's coached in Argentina, France, Spain. You know, the UK, obviously China as well. So, you know, Pep Guardiola, uh, Pochettino and Diego Simeone kind of looked to, up to him as being like, you know, huge influences on their managerial careers and their managerial philosophies. So um, it would be interesting to see how a manager like that kind of gets on at a team like Leeds. Because um, I think, you know, he's he's highly regarded and definitely likes to, to play the game a certain way. Um, mm. You know, that kind of the high press kind of um, high intensity kind of games and uh, be interesting because it would be interesting to see Leeds back in the, the Premier League. They've been gone for a long, long time. Yeah. Oh, well, he's going to the Championship first. Um, so we'll yeah, yeah. If we, do, we can see if we can do any magic um, yeah. with that Leeds team. Uh, that Leeds team does have some players. They've got a good youth academy, a good youth setup. Um, mm. What a challenge. Um but uh, that's an interesting uh, shout, and there's a very good manager Leeds are getting there. It will be mm. great to see Leeds back in the Premiership because, you know, teams such as Aston Villa as well, some teams just deserve to be in the Premiership, um, and Leeds are one of them. Yeah, yeah, no, they're a big club with a big fan base, and obviously their their big kind of rivals are Man United. So I think that would be interesting yeah. to see that uh, kind of Yorkshire derby or or whatever it is, uh, mm. kind of back on the the calendar. And I would love to know, see that too. Yeah, I don't think they'll be getting there straight away, but it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of get a run to maybe towards a playoff place or something next year. Well, um, like, so the, the championship is turning into the premiership in a way. It's whoever's kind of got the money yeah. is going to get up there. And like Wolves showed it themselves, like they just got crazy investment, mm-hmm. crazy investment. They managed to create a relationship with the super agent Jorge Mendes yeah. and just saw them getting a... a a world-class manager. I'm gonna say a world-class manager. Um, some world-class players. Um, what's the midfielder's name? Neves. Uh, Ruben Neves. Yeah. He's a world-class talent. A world-class yeah. prospect. And I'm not class. even exaggerating. And he plays for a fucking curse. <laughs> he <laughs> plays for the Wolverhampton Wonders. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, well, they're in the Premiership, so. Um... Well, they're a Premiership team now, <laughs> but like, you know, I I think some of the Top teams in Europe have been after him for a long time, and mm. he's play, he, he's at uh, Wolverhampton, and obviously he will move on eventually. Um, that's probably the plan, maybe because I think his agent is um, uh, Jorge Mendes, and he yeah, probably will find a way to get him back to to Real Madrid or something. 
But, yeah, definitely. Uh, like he's he's putting his players in uh, shop windows, and you know it's kind of the proof in the pudding of how powerful these agents are becoming that they're now dictating transfer policy for a Premiership team, uh, but also dictating the futures of uh, a lot of highly talented players. And obviously, Jorge Mendes kind of predominantly op- operates with uh, Portuguese players and in Spain yeah. and, and some things in Italy. Like so, um, it's very interesting watching the kind of development of agents like him and. Uh, Raiola, uh, you know the yeah, agent for yeah for wow. you know Pogba, Ibrahimovic, and uh, well, from Ajax now, and that he's trying to get a big money move for. So it's really interesting seeing uh, the power of these agents kind of developing, and now there's so much money involved. Like it's absolutely insane mm. uh, what these guys are kind of getting paid and what they're getting their or their clients paid as well. So mm. they're definitely good at their jobs. Um, that that's very true. Very true. Um, anything else that you want to cover? Uh, not really today. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much it. Um, I think we've been talking for for quite a while now, talking for over an hour. Or so uh, I think we got managed to cover every, everything in the rundown that we had anyway. So uh, unless someone scores pretty quickly, I don't think there's there's anything else to add. No, no. Um, but uh, I'm willing to do uh, a recap tonight of the rest. Yeah. Of the yeah, yeah, like obviously um, two more games on this evening um, on a five and seven, I think it is. Um, yep. So the, the nigeria Croatia games on a, the, the later game at uh, seven o'clock. I'm sorry, uh, I have to mention maybe it's a penalty just being called. Okay, we'll stick around for that. So <laughs> yeah. uh, meanwhile, is it going to VAR or anything or is it just a, a straight no, up call? I think it's going straight to Argentina. I think it's a very yeah. soft penalty given. You'll see it now in a minute. Um, it's very soft. Like the guy doesn't even realize he's there. Ooh, yeah, a little push in the back. You seen it yourself? Yeah, yeah, just out there live. Kunaguero went down, was it? Yeah. I don't think it was a push though. I think he just ran across him and fell. And uh, Leo Messi. I won't react if he goes in. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm doing it for you. I know, React gives the, the real world um, <laughs> thing. Because that's one thing about VAR that I don't really kind of like, you know, like when there's a goal, like the French goal, it was given, and then there's kind of like, oh. oh he misses. <laughs> he misses. Oh, Messi. Messi bottled it. Oh, my God. It. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, um, you know, we are talking earlier about the ball now being at Messi's court from Ronaldo last night. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they can, um, if they'll live to regret that, because you know it's still one all. Such a poor penalty. Yeah, I'm just Such watching it. Oh, yeah, nowhere near the corner. Yeah. Perfect height for the for the goalkeeper. How's the comeback from that? But mm. I don't, I don't think it should have been a penalty in the first place. Yeah, yeah, uh, probably a bit of justice done, like as it was super yeah. soft. But yeah, you just correct Messi to to put that away. Good, uh, really good on the the goalkeeper to guess the yeah. right way. Yeah, I haven't seen the the replay yet, but yeah, no, yeah, like obviously saving any penalty is is good from the goalkeeper, but it wasn't <laughs> the best penalty in the world that you expect no. from one of the best players in the world. Mm. Wow, that's that's a that's a shock right there. I have to say, and like you mentioned. Ronaldo couldn't put a foot wrong yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Against one of the best teams in the world, Spain, and 
you know, Messi's been fairly quiet in this game, and that was his Definitely. chance to, you know, kind of do something, and he's kind of fumbled at the first hurdle, so, uh, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, it'd be, be tough to call a decision after just one game of the, the World Cup for both of, these, of, course, of those course. players, but um, yeah, it's kind of night and day, really, of how good Ronaldo was last night for dragging his yeah. team. To, um, how quiet Arge, uh, Messi is. He's, yeah, yeah. Well, like, Messi has always, he's kind of turned into that sort of player oh. now that, you know, he can be quiet and then he'll just come out of nowhere and sort of like Ibrahimovic in his later later years. Mm. Um, so I'm not doubting Messi. You know, he can always, that Messi magic can always pop out in the last five minutes out of nowhere. Um, and I think he's got a free kick here. Um, so who knows, maybe he'll get some and, um Something to happen later on in the game, but that penalty, uh, you know, you'd put, you would have put your house, he would have made. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, because especially like the the free kick last night that Ronaldo was on, like you know, like mm-hmm. late in the game, you know, and he took a long time concentration and put it exactly mm-hmm. where he needed to, you know, and. And the amount of time we've seen that exact same free kick go into Rosette or hit the yeah. wall. Um, yeah. Next, I read a, a stat that it's that was his 55th. Attempt at a free kick in his World Cup career and mm-hmm. the first the first goal. So um, he's definitely had a, a lot of free kicks that haven't gone anywhere near the goal. Um, pa- I just saw a replay of the penalty. It was so central. Like he was trying to put it to the left, but he kind of it looks like he made a mistake. Like you can see mm-hmm. what he's trying to do. Um, try to get it maybe in that bottom left hand corner, but uh, even the the coaches are giving each other high fives at the missed penalty. Like. <laughs> uh, that's crazy and uh yeah i'm just watching it here now yeah nowhere near the the corner mm. but yeah if the keeper goes the wrong way you know people are like oh yeah that's a great penalty you know send the keeper the wrong that's, way that's the thing so. with penalties, like, penalty analysis is very poor um, yeah you know like the amount of times i've seen de bruyne take a penalty this year and he'll slot it into the other side and people are like oh so cool calm collected but you know, what happens if he did, like you just mentioned, go the right way? He would be yeah. saying, oh, like we're dealing with Messi. Um, that's why yeah. I always... It's a bit believe, of a lottery. I always believe that... Who was, who's a good penalty taker? Robbie Keane was always one mm. of the best penalty takers back in the day. Yeah, I think I like Hazard's approach. Like, I haven't seen him miss a penalty before, and he, he seems who? to be very... Eden Hazard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems to just wait for that keeper to make a, a little move one way, and then he just kind of, like, rolls it in, you know? Like, there's never any uh, um, never any power in his penalties, but exactly, it seems to yeah. work for him. So, kind of like a game of chicken is the, the kind of approach he goes for, and so far he's won. So, um, mm. looking forward to uh, that group, actually, with England and um, Belgium's group kind of playing on, on Monday. Yeah, uh, yeah, So, looking true. forward to England kind of should, talking about that. England should be grand with Tunisia. Mm. Um, and then who's Belgium playing? Um, <laughs> don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who's it else is in that group? I think it's Algeria. Belgium. Panama. Panama. Oh, jeez, that's a very easy group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was kind of looking at the the kind of layout, and it might suit whoever comes second in that group more. That you know they'll have a easier, well, potentially easier. Last 16 game because I think you know they'd be playing at uh, winners of um, Brazil's group I think so um, be interesting be interesting the winner would be playing the winner of uh, Brazil's group is that what you said um 
Yeah, what was I looking up? Or maybe it's in the next round that they'd be facing Brazil if they got to a quarterfinal. Uh, oh, but so they'd be in the same be side of that. To finish second? Potentially, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I was kind of looking up. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I'd say anyone would just be happy to kind of get, to get guaranteed uh, qualifications to the next round. Mm. Um, so if we have nothing else to add anyway, um, yeah. we'll, we'll call, call it a wrap for today. Yeah, we've got 20 minutes left in the game, so I'm going to grab some uh, lunch and, and watch the end of that. All uh, right. And, and see what happens, see if Messi can uh, atone for his error. Of course. Because, um, yeah, neither Messi or Ronaldo have really scored too many goals in the the World Cup before now, obviously, Ronaldo just scored a hat-trick last night, so um, mm. it's another kind of another part of the debate of the Messi versus Ronaldo, and neither of them have won a World Cup, so doing it in the big tournaments, you know. Mm. Yeah, his um, record recently has been phenomenal: Euros, mm -hmm. Champions Leagues, and so far so good in the World Cup. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I'll catch you later on for yeah. uh, the midnight show. Yeah, the midnight show. <laughs> yeah, the recap. Um, so yeah, hopefully it'll be good games to to talk about later on this evening. Sweet, sweet. All right, then good have man. a good one. Enjoy your day. Enjoy the games.